This podcast is proudly produced by NZ Audio Editors. For all your editing services, you can find us on the World Wide Web. Greg Moyle and Ryan Melton from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. This is not to be seen as personal advice as it is a podcast, but will give you the tools you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. Hello to everyone here in New Zealand and also our international audience. Well, specifically, kia ora, ki te pehe koe. Uh, For the international listeners, let's rattle off some countries. Uh, Thailand, Sawadee Cup, South Korea, Angyong Haseyo. Uh, from the Philippines, Kamusta. Well, they, they were colonized by Spain, so why not? Hola, como estas? Uh, Italian, buongiorno. What else is there? French, bonjour, ça va? German, was geht? If you're from Israel, Adav Tov. Um, yeah, it's not, probably not the afternoon when you're listening to this, but that's what first came to mind. Uh, this this episode is, once again, it's down the different genre. It's still the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. This one's actually talking about finance, but how things are different is, unfortunately, Greg's not on this one. Again, is he going to have to listen to my long-winded voice? But it's from an event called TED Style Talks, where I was fortunate to be able to speak for. Uh, it's quick, it's concise, and it'll give you a few uh, points uh, to learn from around the finance space. And also the audience asks a few questions. So hopefully uh, it will be specific to something that you're curious about. So without further ado, let's kick it off. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Started off with a great handshake. Missed it. Uh, <laughs> roll with it. Yeah, so, I mean, when you first hear about finance, you probably start falling asleep a little bit. So if you're not off, just give me a cue, and then I'll, I'll change it back to something more interesting. But the, the thing about finance, it's not something you necessarily want to hear about, but it's something that you need to hear about. Just, just the simple fact of, like, if you had to guess, um, people over the age of 65, how many of them do you think just live solely on the pension? Like, if anyone had to guess, what percentage? 67. Okay, high percentages, yeah. And that's the thing. So it's around, in 2013, it was around 60% of the population survived solely off the pension. So if you don't know what the pension is, effectively for a couple, after tax, 32 grand total. 16 grand each. So you think the majority of the population is living solely on that, so we've got to start thinking, why, with that looming over our heads, are we not taking action? What's holding us back? Um, and, and just on the point with the clipboard, so I work alongside a, a guy who's been a financial advisor for 30 years, and part of the reason why I enjoy doing these sort of community events and, and giving back and sharing ideas is from the frustration that came with studying finance. So there's a lot of unnecessary jargon that creates a barrier. I'm not sure if it's the financial guru's trying to I guess, keep a distance between what the, the masses know so they can maintain a job. But for whatever reason, I was completely frustrated with finance. I felt like everything I was learning, everyone needs to know. But I was hitting my head against a brick wall trying to stay focused on it because it is quite boring. I mean, let's be real. So I had the good fortune of working alongside a guy who's done it 30 years. And I, I said to him, we've we got to start doing something where more people can get exposure to it. Um, and it's a podcast, and it's going to kick off on Monday. Uh, it's called the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. Um, so it's going to be a collective thing, because 
it's one to have money, but it's about enjoying life. Like, end of the day, you could have millions or you could be a billionaire sitting in your private jet and have bad health. So what do you effectively have? You know, an empire of dirt, you know? So it's going to be more of a holistic viewpoint. So if you wanted, up to you, you don't have to. Um, just a name and number and uh, email. So I'm trying to work out if I'm going to send it out as a text or as just an email. And it's not going to be trying to pitch you. It's just saying this is the length of the podcast. This is what we talk about if you want to listen to it by all means. So I'll just pass that around. Put your name and number if you want. No worries. So from the behavioral side of things, most people when you think of investing, what, what's some common, common, I guess, ideas that come? Like when you're going to see a financial advisor, what would you want to know? Like anyone, what would you be curious about? What was that? How much money you need? So you mean like in retirement? Like, okay. So, and, and another one, well, to give you an idea of that, let's say you wanted $60,000 in retirement. You're going to get $30,000 from the pension. So that means you're going to have to find a way to fund it by $30,000. So you've got to find a way to fund $30,000 on top of the pension. Making sense so far? Not too many numbers? How long is that? What's that, sir? For how long? For how long? Yeah. So, well, effectively till you die, I guess. Yeah, so it depends on what lifestyle you want in retirement. So let's say you want a $60,000 in retirement, and there's a $30,000 shortfall on top of the pension. So you're going to have to find a way to cover that. So to be able to do that, you're going to need $500,000 sensibly invested, and that will fund your retirement for 25 to 30 years. So that answers your question. And it sounds like a big, scary number. Yeah, I know, scary. But if you start now, you can achieve that. Um, but that's really dependent on what lifestyle you want. Um, so that gives you an idea that it is a serious thing. You just think if you didn't have it invested, um, effectively how long would 500000 last if you're taking out thirty grand a year? It'll go pretty quick, even quicker than 25 to 30 years. But anyway, it's too many numbers boring you. The other thing most people ask is what return can I get? So you'd think higher return is going to be beneficial for you. But in reality, the strongest correlation in investment is between risk and return. So you may have seen a lot of, I guess, may have seen or heard of different friends or family members that were making a huge return, were really excited, and wanted to make all this money. They were making a return, but then they suddenly lost it all. So just think, when you go into, if someone comes in and asks me, how much returns can you give me, I will say, how much risk would you like to take? So just to make a point of difference on risk, though, so the first point on risk, the risk of losing all your money would be in a direct investment. So everyone heard of Tesla? Yeah, so if you put all your money in Tesla, I'm not saying it's a good or bad company. If that company goes under, the last person to be paid is the investors. So that's effectively you could lose all your money. So that's the risk with direct investment. Or you might heard from mom or dad or your grandparents, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So that's the concept. If you put all your eggs in one basket, you have the potential to lose everything. Now, with regards to risk, if you diversify it in the right way, and I'll tell you how, the risk is the ups and downs. Because you have so many eggs, the odds of all those eggs cracking and it going under, very low. 
incredibly low. So if you diversify, the risk is actually the ups and downs. So I'm starting to see glazed over looks. Um, but am I making sense so far? Okay, so to give a good example of what constitutes a diversified investment, has anyone heard of KiwiSaver? Anyone doesn't have KiwiSaver right now? Doesn't. doesn't. Are you New Zealand citizens or residents? Okay, almost. As soon as you get it, get it, mate. Yeah, who doesn't have KiwiSaver? Okay, interesting. Okay. Well, just, just on the point of KiwiSaver, it's one of the most effective investment vehicles you have. The concept is based on that diversification that I talked about. Just think about it. Let's say you put in 3% of your income. That, that's the minimum contribution. And the employer is legally obliged to put in at least 3%. So what did you just do? Bada bing, bada boom. So you've doubled your money. The next thing, for some people that are self-employed, they'll say, well, maybe I don't need KiwiSaver because I don't have that employer contribution. So if there's any contractors in here or self-employed people. So what I would say to that, when you're self-employed, there is a cash flow problem, you know, ups and downs. You want to make sure you can get access to your money because sometimes your, your business is going to need a cash injection. So what I would say to that is KiwiSaver has another benefit. That other benefit is a government contribution or a tax credit. So does anyone know the, the maximum benefit you can get from the government in that regard? Anyone know? 1500 It's close. So it's uh, around $1,043 or $1,043. So that, the government will give you 521 should I say. So if you put in 1043 the government will put in around half, so around 521 in that range. Yearly. So if you're self-employed, like the people that obviously put their hands up, that's a good way to get benefit purely from that. Now, on top of that, there's a return. So if you get a return, let's say, let's say you get 6% return, and you may have heard of the eighth wonder of the world, it's compounding interest. If you get a 6% return, how long do you think, if you maintain that, how long do you think it will take for your money to double? What was that? 7.2 years. Very precise, interesting. <laughs> 7, 7.2 years would have been if it was a 10% return. It will double every 12 years. So, KiwiSaver, you're putting in your 3%, you're doubling it because the employer's doing it, and then the government's putting in 521, and then it's doubling every 12 years with ups and downs, you know? So is anyone starting to get a bit more excited about their KiwiSaver? Okay, cool. See, now, where the mistake comes on that KiwiSaver is everyone's different. So my KiwiSaver shouldn't be the same as everyone else's KiwiSaver. So, like, has different people heard of the growth fund, conservative, balanced? Was their experience when they went to the bank basically like, oh, do you like risk? And they're like, I said no. Oh, you go on the conservative fund. Did they sort of just guide you into it and you just got it and you didn't know, quite know what you're doing? That happened? Yeah, it happens quite a lot. So to talk to that point, maybe I should talk more behavioral. That was the setup, but I didn't write a speech, so I'm sort of winging it based on what people are saying. But you've got to think, 
The next thing in investment is when are you going to need the money? So if you have a growth fund, once again, big returns, really exciting, but the investment period for a growth fund is 10 years. So you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get really excited and I'm, getting, I'm going to invest in the high return fund, and that's just volatility. The risk of you losing your money is very low, as long as it's one of the main players. Um, so you've got to start thinking, okay, when am I going to start taking money from the Kiwi server? So the two times you can mainly take it is for your first home and when you turn 65. So do you think it makes sense if you're age 62 to be in a growth fund if you're going to start taking the money out in three years? No. But a lot of people are like that. So let's, let's see what happens. So you've got, you're 62, you're making a whole lot of returns for the last 10 years, it's been incredible. In three years, not going so well, when do you need the money? At the low point. So you just sold at a point where the returns were very low. It's what's called crystallizing your loss. Does that make sense? So you, you get a return of 10%, it's at minus 15%. When you sell it, you've actually lost money. So that's where you've got to start thinking about the time horizons when you're actually going to need the money. So you're going to buy your first home. The other one is if you're going overseas. If you're going overseas, it's, you can actually close the whole KiwiSaver all at once. And in that regard, then you'd have to start thinking about the time horizons. So really, really think about KiwiSaver. It is something to be aware of and to capitalize on. But the other thing, how many, people, how many people have majority of their money in the bank, would you say? Just raise your hands. OK, cool. So the people in the room, there's something called inflation. And we hear about it, we talk about it at school. But what are the implications for us? So you've got the money in the bank. How much, what's the return, do you think, from the bank, from people's experience? 2%, 3%, small, tiny? So what we talk about in finance is the real return. What are you actually getting? Because let's say you probably had a grandma or a granddad that talked about how much money, that, how, how many things they could buy with so few money. So like $5 could get to the picture theater, uh, contribute halfway towards a house, um, and then, yeah, you could still buy a diamond ring for your girlfriend. It was that sort of thing. So we're realizing how much our money can buy is decreasing. Make sense? So once again, we can use something called the rule of 72, which it tells you how long it will take for your money to halve. So if you divide 72 by the inflation rate, so it's around 2% now, if that'll be 36 years before your $100,000 is only going to be worth 50000 So that's where we've got to beat, inflation. So the concern with the bank, if you're getting 2 to 3% around that area, inflation is 2%. You get taxed, that's maybe 1%. So how much is the returns that you're earning? Not much. Yeah, not much or zero. It's usually between minus 1 and 1. So you, you can't actually lose money having in the bank. Does that get a bit confusing? Like, I'm getting a return, but why am I losing money? Yeah, so just because the money's sitting there, it's not earning more than inflation, so you're actually losing money. So, 
So one of the ways you can beat that, property, everyone likes property in Auckland. I don't know how many people have a million to buy property in Auckland, but that, that outpaces inflation. Another way to do that is shares. But as we, as we learn, if you just go on one company, it's quite risky. But if you go on many diversified across the world, so like an index fund, then you're just going to have ups and downs, but not necessarily lose all your money. The other way we earn money is loaning money to people. So that would be banks. You loan them money, they give you interest. Another thing is it's called bonds. So if you loan the government money or a corporation or a local bank, they give you a percentage. So I feel like I should have talked behavioral because I'm starting to put myself to sleep on this one. Um, but just, just on that point, that, that's usually, if you look at your KiwiSaver, it's split up into those four categories. Shares, property, bonds, and cash. And that's how you achieve diversity. Because when shares go up, bonds may not go up. When bonds go up, shares could be going down. So the link between them is quite diversified. They're not that strongly correlated, they say. So because you've got these different pockets, then that protects you against the volatility a little bit more and, and diversifies what you have. So that's effectively how KiwiSaver works. So I'm at 14 minutes, huh? slowly putting people to sleep, I think. But what, what would be just a bit of question time, a few questions, because, I mean, I've been trying to tailor this to the audience and with the contractors and with people not using KiwiSaver. Is there something in particular that people would be interested in hearing about? This is just an overview. Okay. It's point. So the main players in KiwiSaver for the most part are okay. So the banks, ASB, ANZ, uh, Milford's, Fisher Funds. Um, so you, you're relatively going to be okay if you use the main ones because the thing you want with a KiwiSaver is a large amount of uh, funds so they can deal with things if they go wrong. And then also there's greater accountability because they're a larger organization. So I would just say stick to the main bigger ones. There are some of them that are going to be a bit more bumpy. So, for example, Milford, that's outside provider from the bank, they've been doing very well because they started after the big crash in 2007, 2008. And what they actually invest in is New Zealand and Australia. That's their real skill set. So for them, they're riding a good wave, but they may not necessarily be the best choice because they're taking a bit more risk. And if you listen to the first podcast, we go a bit more in depth and, and can explain that to you. Um, but the main thing is just have the big players and keep that in consideration and tailoring it to your actual lifestyle and your time horizons. Yeah, mate? Um, just ethical investments, just wondering how that's going to grow. I saw in the news that um, the Greta Thunberg and turned on Roger Federer as one of the sponsors with uh, um, an oil company or something like that. Mm. I'm just wondering how, how much that's going to take off. Yeah, it's huge. So it, all the surveys that are going out there, just as questions, so you know, is ethical investing, is it going to be a big pocket? From the surveys, a lot of New Zealanders are interested in it and want it. It's just they're not presented as an option for them. So there's a member of the Green Party, whether you like Greens or not, they started a website called Mindful Money, and it will give different providers ratings on their, uh, I guess, ethical investing style. 
It's called ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance. And I think when advisors start talking it, about it as a topic, it's going to become a lot more relevant and I imagine it's going to be a huge emerging market. So good call on that, I would say. Yeah. Um, I am not sure on this one, but do you think the government will ever stop the pension? That's the point. I am, I am scared about that. The reason being is we all know like the age demographics are getting a bit skewed to the older. They made a bit more babies than we are now. So there's a lot of old people that are suddenly going to come on the pension, and is that sustainable? So the other thing, though, those older people, they're actually big voters, so it'd be tricky. Um, we have, in, in the past, had means-tested pensions. Um, that's changed to now everyone that's universal. It's hard to say. It's some, I plan as though it's, it's going to happen, like potentially you're not going to have access to it. I plan that way. For me to predict the future, I didn't bring my crystal ball, but... Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm, I'm going to be at the tail end of this, so whatever you get, I'll get times two. What was your question? Uh, most probably what they will do is uh, raise the age, because by raising Point. the age in by one or two years, making people wait, um, they, they, they might, in America, they give you different options. You've got a certain age when you qualify for your, um, I forget what system they call it, or uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the older you take it, the more you get when, when, when you decide to take it. Okay. And, and Susie, um, Susie, the woman, she said she often advised people that if they can afford it, keep keep the 401k going and take it even way to 70, 71, 72, because you will be getting far more return Per, per week. And that sure. might be a system where maybe the government says, um, you know, you can take it at 65 or 67, yeah. 70, and, and, cool. and, and you'll get more if you take it later. Yeah, another thing I think, without looking at the crystal ball, I will answer the question, um, is they may turn KiwiSaver into annuity. So what I'm seeing with my clients, um, we, we give advice outside KiwiSaver as well, but with the KiwiSaver clients, they're getting the money like it's lotto. So they haven't had access till the age of 65. Now they've got 300K or 200K or 100K or whatever it is, and they're just spending it and not thinking. So the government may actually make it as an annuity so you can only get part of it like an income. I could see that potentially happening. And sorry, what was your question? Ah, okay, conservative, yep. Yeah, so the thing about government bonds is, once again, that's all your eggs in one basket. So the whole reason KiwiSaver exists was actually one of the processes my business associate helped start, which is, like KiwiSaver, it's called a managed fund. It's still balanced, growth, conservative, um, but it's diversified because you're not going to know what's going to happen in life. So with bonds, they could be bad for a certain period or just have a low return. But if you have it diversified, like KiwiSaver, but in a managed fund, um, I can talk to you about that later. But 
essentially you want to diversify it in the same way, similar to KiwiSaver. And it's called the four asset classes, so bonds, cash, shares, and property, and more of a conservative style. That's what I would say. So we can talk about that more. I just didn't want to bog people down. Um, where are we, do you think, in the Auckland property market, and where do you think it's going? <laughs> and also, do you think we're going to be um, a big influx of climate change refugees from Australia? <laughs> 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 well, those questions are very easy. The first one, I mean, I don't talk on things I don't understand or know. The property sector, I couldn't speak on it. Like, I'm not going to tell you something if I don't know the ins and outs of it. I mean, yeah. So I could just grab it on, but I wouldn't. In terms of refugees, happy to have more immigration. I mean, that's positive, generally, as long as it's skilled. Um, and I don't think our, our climate policies are that good in comparison. You know, we're just quite population... Density is quite low. Yeah, the Australians with the agreement. Yeah, I worked in Australia. They probably wish they didn't have that agreement. And I've talked really long. Sorry. No worries. Thank you.